Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Atlanta Man podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and I'm joined once again by Evan Etheridge to talk some Falcons, Braves, Hawks, all that stuff. So uh, how you doing, man? What's going on, man? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, me too. We got a good amount of stuff to cover. Uh, pretty, I'd say a positive week overall, all things considered. Uh, Falcons got a win yesterday against the Bears. Hawks went 2-1 on the week, a couple of pretty impressive wins and one just terrible loss to the Celtics, but uh, overall positive for them. And then we can talk about some brave stuff to end the episode. Uh, but we'll start off with the Falcons. Uh, fresh in our minds yesterday, a 27-24 win over the Chicago Bears. Uh, the Bears are bad. I'll go ahead and just say that off the rip. But uh, Justin Fields has been playing out of his mind really for the past three, four weeks. So they're not as bad as we probably thought they were going to be. We were schedule watching about a month ago. They look like they might be the worst team in football with how bad Justin Fields looked to start the season. But now he's uh, really just turned into like one of the, I want to say better quarterbacks in the league, but just more of like the explosive fun quarterbacks in the league with his uh, legs. Uh, they started to run him a lot more. So uh, yeah, what are your thoughts over on this Bears team um, of how much things have changed before uh, we get into the game here? Yeah, if you look at Justin Fields' last five or six games you you would think the bears are eight and three um instead they're three and eight now it's it's kind of insane the the numbers he's been putting up especially rushing the ball um so i know that that dual threat was going to be, be was going to be a uh an issue for the for the falcons to to look out for i mean um yeah the bears bears played played his stuff and uh you definitely can't overlook them i mean their record three and seven but um still a threat you know so, yeah, for sure. They're, um, especially when you have a guy like that that can just make stuff happen at any given moment, it just has that ability. It's just never going to be easy for your defense. And that was that was the case in this game. The Falcons had a hard time getting him down. I mean, they the Bears' offensive line is awful, and just this really makes what Justin Fields does more impressive. But the Falcons were getting to him a good bit in this game, but they just couldn't get him down in the backfield. I mean, they did a few times, they got a couple sacks, but there was multiple multiple occasions where fields would just get loose scramble or throw the ball away. And those were kind of frustrating, but uh, yeah, we can get to the actual game now kind of just laying it out there of what this bears team is like, but uh, some little news to start the game was that AJ Terrell was back in this one uh, for first time in four weeks, I believe uh, with that hamstring injury. So that was a, uh, a big uh, lift for the defense to get him back. Probably the best player on the defense when he's right. I, mean, I don't think he played very well in this game. He had a couple of rough moments, um, but uh, still good to have him back. And, uh, yeah, so that was good for the defense. So we can get to the game now. And it started off pretty well. The Falcons going a 10-play, 75-yard drive to start the game right off the rip. Uh, pretty much just how you want to draw it up. Drake London had a two-yard touchdown catch to start things up. And, um, yeah, like, you know, when you get the touchback and you start at the 25-yard line, you pretty much draw up 10 plays, 75 yards, five and a half minutes. That's really all you can ask for in that situation. Uh, but it wouldn't last long in the first quarter as the Bears go and tie it up on their next possession to make it 7-7. Seven to seven, A Darnell Mooney 16-yard touchdown pass from Justin Fields, and uh, that made it 7-7. Seven to seven. So uh, what were your thoughts in the first quarter? Um, not too much to talk about, but just kind of like a little back and forth on back-to-back possessions there. A couple of long drives from both teams. Yeah, we had a great uh, great opening drive, 10 plays. Um you know, I was I was glad to get London, get him back in the end zone. 
Um, and then, you know, the Bears, it, it didn't look like we had any defense um, on both sides to start the game. And I, I knew it was going to be high scoring and that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. The first half especially was very high scoring and that was, we'll get into it now of what happened in the second quarter, but um, yeah, the Bears kicked a field goal and make it 10 to seven with seven minutes left in the second. And then uh, Cordero Patterson has a pretty bad fumble and that gave the Bears the ball right back and they took advantage of it. And uh, Justin Fields had a two or not two yard, four yard touchdown run to make it 17 to seven. And uh, so right now, Cordero Patterson's in the doghouse for about, I don't know, 10 minutes of real time. And then he uh, makes up for it and then some with a 103 yard pickoff return. That's a NFL record from Cordero Patterson. Um, so, yeah, that really turned things around. The fumble was bad, but him doing that on the kickoff, and he really just ran it right up the middle of the field. It was just really impressive the way he did it. Uh, so what, what were your thoughts on that? Probably the most exciting play of the game right there. Yeah, the vision that, that Cordero Patterson has is is unbelievable, man. He he took it right up the gut, and his speed at, at that size is is awesome. And like you said, that was his 10th uh, return touchdown NFL record. I mean – that's awesome, especially against his his former team. You know, it, it was really cool to see. Yeah, and I think I told you just yesterday that he has ran for a kickoff return touchdown against the Bears with four different teams. It's just <laughs> so weird because he played for the Bears too. So that's just kind of that was just like a weird stat that I saw. That's still pretty cool though. I guess he uh, always has it in for the Bears for some reason. Uh, but uh, we can move on from there. Uh, Koo hit a forty yarder as time expired in the second half. And uh, things were tied up at 17 after the first half, you know, kind of an up and down quarter on the whole. The defense didn't play super well. Uh, the offense, you know, they had the good drive and then Patterson kind of spoiled another one of the good drives they had on the fumble. But then obviously he made it all back up. So it's hard to really evaluate the offense after the uh, first half. But uh, the defense, I don't think, played particularly great. Um, but what do you think of this the overall performance of the first half? Yeah, Fields, Fields could do and say whatever he wanted. He He was... He was wreaking havoc for our defense. the The threat of him running the ball was was definitely working. Um, yeah, it looked like he was going to drop forty on fantasy at halftime, and you know, so yeah. he's a uh, he's been known to do that. I think this is just fantasy talk, but I think the previous two weeks he had forty points in each of those games of fantasy. So that just shows you how dynamic of a runner he is. And he had a really good running game. I mean, eighteen carries, eighty five yards, and a touchdown. Those are running back numbers. I think Arthur Smith would agree with me with the running back thing there. <laughs> uh, he has some comments on him after the game. Uh, but we can uh, talk about the second half now. And it was second half was a doozy. Um, it's a very good game overall, uh, just from like a casual fan standpoint. If you were a third party, this was a good game to watch. Um, but yeah, Falcons score first in the second half. Marcus Mariota, who we haven't talked about yet, but he played so much better in this game. Uh, we need we didn't even talk about. I mean, I, I we were calling for his head last podcast, saying this should be Desmond Ritter starting. Desmond Ritter didn't start this game. Probably should have started that podcast off by saying that. Uh, but yeah, Mariota played a lot better in this one. He had a nice ten yard touchdown run here to uh, put the Falcons up by a touchdown. And then in the fourth quarter, David Montgomery had a two yard touchdown run to tie the game up at twenty four with about eight and a half minutes left, and uh, or not eight and a half minutes left. That was just time. That was time of the drive. I was looking at the wrong thing, but tie the game up nonetheless at 24. And then uh, the Falcons go down with a minute and 47 seconds left, and they kick a 53 yard field goal from Q as he nailed that field goal. Probably was good from 60. He really got a hold of that one. Uh, but I know, I know, I don't know about you, but my thought process here was like, oh, God, 
about two minutes left in this game, only up by three. This is just going to be a classic, you know, Falcons just letting leaving too much time on the clock and Justin Fields is going to make us pay here. So uh, I don't know about you, but that's how I felt after that field goal. Yeah, and me too, man. I I was a little scared, no lie. Um, but, you know, if you look at if you look at the Bears last two games, uh, Lions and Dolphins, they both had opportunities to 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 have a game winning drive, you know, um, with with just field goals. Actually, that's all they needed. And they weren't able to do that. So I felt a little better about our chances, about our odds. And uh, yeah, let's see how it see how it plays out. Yeah, um, I guess that's one thing Fields needs to add to his repertoire is the game winning drive. I guess he's over three now in the past three weeks on those. Uh, but uh, yeah, it did not go go well for the Bears in this one. Um, he throws a pick pretty early into the drive. I don't even it was probably like the second play I think of the drive. Um, it was a tip ball off of the hands of David Montgomery and uh, Jalen Hawkins made a nice play on the tip. You know, it was kind of a wasn't a ball that I think you necessarily anticipate being tipped because it was kind of just like a little dump off to David Montgomery. Those are not the balls that usually just get tipped up in the air. Those little just dump off passes. So a good play there um, by Jalen Hawkins. It was the third play of the drive. So kind of nipped down the butt early there and uh, put this game away. So yeah, that was a, that was a really nice play. So what were your thoughts on that interception? Because it's just really a sigh of relief there as uh, things could have gotten bad if that didn't happen. Yeah, perfect timing. I mean, perfect timing, literally. Um, and then all, all you needed was a, a another you know first down. I think. Yeah, to, they need a first down. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Im- immediately we got that, and you know, just just a great win. I mean, tough game. Uh, you know, it, good to see it. Good, good to good to win in Atlanta in front of your crowd um, against the Bears. That that you definitely circled this game a couple weeks ago. You got to win this game. So, yeah, for sure. And uh, especially last week, you know, another game we circled was beating the Panthers last week. And since that didn't happen, this essentially came became a must win game with uh the way the division's shaking out, especially with the Bucks on a bye this week, be able to make up a little bit of ground on them as a can kind of transition into the division odds, as I like to do. Uh, the Falcons are up a little bit after this win, not a ton. The Bucks are still pretty large favorites to win the division. Uh, I'm seeing 77% for Tampa to win the division, 79% to make the playoffs for them. Falcons are sitting at 13% to win the division, 20% to make the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, not great odds there, obviously, but still. Tampa's only five and five. The Falcons are five and six, only a half game lead. And they still have a game against Tampa. So that's, that's huge. That game. Um, I, I'm really rude for, I know last week was real doom and gloom and I was really just like, gosh, screw this season. We got to see what got in Ritter. It's all about next year, but mm-hmm. if they could make that Tampa game matter. That would be a lot of fun. And I, I'm really rooting for that. Uh, that's the last game of the season week 18. So if they can make that game matter, that'd be awesome. Um, and they, they still got the, an easy schedule ahead of them, man. I mean, sidecast like a broken record, but they beat Chicago. They play Washington next week. Next week, who they've been playing better lately. They're definitely yeah. a, another team that's kind of been on the uptick, but they're still not a like not a game that the Falcons just can't win. They can definitely win that game. And then Pittsburgh, they're not very good. That's a home game too, so that's one you got to get. Then the Saints, you know, I know we had that bad loss to them earlier this year, but they are definitely beatable. And then Baltimore. That's probably not a win, if we're being honest, but it'd be a nice upset if they could beat the Ravens. And then Arizona and Tampa. Arizona is not that good. And then obviously that Tampa game would be the big one if they can make it matter. So that's what I'm rooting for. Make the Tampa game matter. That's the goal for the season as of right now. I could say something different next week if Mariota just looks awful against the the commanders. I could be back with the Desmond Ritter, uh, see what he's got trained. But right now he's real me back in. I'm back in on the season. How about you? 
Yeah, I'm with you. The looking to next week, you got the Commanders. They started off one and four this year, and ever since they made the switch to Heineke, they've been they've been very solid, and their defense is good. Uh, you can't yeah, and they're getting them. and they're getting Chase Young back next week against us. So yes. that'll be uh that'll be a challenge for sure. Their defense is solid. Yeah. And uh yeah, Heineke, he has he has played a lot better than Carson Wentz. Uh, th- I think teams are starting to find out that Carson Wentz just isn't very good. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, so that that'll be a, that'll probably be a fun game between these two teams. Uh two quarterbacks just trying to make a play. Taylor Heineke and Marcus <laughs> Mariota would be a trying to make a playoff between those two guys. So uh yeah, that's all that's all I got on the Falcons. If you got any uh, final thoughts, we can uh, get into the Hawks. Yeah, I do actually have a little final thoughts with the Falcons. Um, we lost Kyle Pitts um, late in the game. Uh, Eddie Jackson with a low hit straight yeah. to the knee. It was it was pretty it was pretty gross watching back. Um, he's actually he just went on the IR, and uh, you know I think he had a torn MCL. So you know that really sucks. Um, that that's that's all I can say about that. It sucks, really. Yeah, glad you mentioned that because I totally blanked on that one. Um, but yeah, that is bad. That was that was a pretty rough hit in the moment. Um, to see that, I know Pitts has been a large topic of conversation of his productivity this year. But you know, he's a guy that helps this team no matter what. He's one of the biggest weapons, and him being out is going to hurt. Um, but still, you know, it's trying to spin it on the positive. The Falcons are not a team that is built to throw the ball. So I guess that's the one positive spin out of this is that it's not going to really hamper what they do well, which is running the ball. It still sucks for Kyle Pitts. Um, as I, I'm a big Kyle Pitts fan, so that was definitely unfortunate. Uh, excuse my dogs barking at nothing. Um, but yeah, we can uh, talk about the Hawks now. Um, you can, you can kick off this Hawks combo while I get these dogs to quit, uh, quit barking. <laughs> yeah. First game against the Bucks. Um, you know, Huck, Bucks have had a lot of injuries, um, uh, including Drew Holiday out this time. Um, no Chris Middleton at all. Um, and and the Hawks came out rolling. And, um, you know, I think everyone was in the plus this game, uh, except for a couple guys on the bench that got um, just some minutes at the end of the game. But overall, domination. Um, held the Bucks. Defense was defense was rolling. Um, held, held the Bucks to 21% from three. Um, that we're usually on the other side of that one. Um, but yeah, what, what do you have to say about that first game? Yeah, it is. It's a really nice win. I mean, Milwaukee has been really good to start the year. Um, they've only lost three games and two of them have been the Hawks. So that's pretty impressive. This one probably not as impressive as the first one when they beat Milwaukee because Drew Holiday being out and obviously Chris Milton's been out um, every game this season so far. So yeah, that was, it was definitely a good win. The defense, um, I know they had a, they had a really bad game this next one against the Celtics we're going to talk about. But other than that game, really, the Hawks defense this year has just been surprisingly really good. I, I believe they're top 10 in the league in defensive rating, which that was not the case at all last year. The defense was like bottom five in the NBA. And, um, you know, the, since the offense has kind of been sputtering with Trey not having the greatest start and the lack of bogey and the lack of the three-point shooting, it's been a huge pickup, the defense, and they really showed it in this game. I mean, they really held them down. All the Bucks percentages were ugly, uh, like you said, only twenty-one percent from three, forty-one and a half percent from the field, seventy-eight um, percent from the free throw line, which they got to the line a ton. A lot of yes. that is Giannis um, got to the line forty-one times, which Giannis got there eighteen. They get to the line a lot. That's one of their uh, trademarks of this team. But even even then, they missed nine free throws, and then that's really the Hawks really didn't control that but still the Bucks just didn't shoot well in this game and uh you can just tell that from the box score and watching it was a really nice win though the Bucks are good yeah. even without Drew this is a very solid win 
yeah, every single starter for the Hawks had 16 points. I mean, they were spreading the ball around. Um, they were just in complete control the entire time. Um, you know, I think Giannis needs to uh, practice his free throws a little bit more. Next time he needs to do it at home, not not in Philly. Not in, not in Philly. Um, Montrez Harrell was not a fan of that. I don't think neither was the um, the I don't know that what those guys are called the net guys the goal the basketball goal guys with the ladder <laughs> he chucked that thing a little off topic but yeah that was that was pretty funny seeing that not a good look for Giannis but uh yeah this is a really nice win man um we'll, we can get into the Celtics game really quick now um which we don't really have to uh go deep into this one this was just a bad game um. And I just said that Milwaukee has been very good to start the year. The Celtics have been even better. Um, I believe the other first in the East still, they're 12 and three after winning this game against the Hawks, but they just torched the Hawks in this one. Um, Hawks got outscored 30 to 18 in the first quarter. That's never good. Uh, the Celtics scored 30 points in every quarter, except the fourth when they scored 29. <laughs> so yeah, the defense was really bad, um, but that's not all the Hawks. The Celtics are just also very good. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown led the team and led the Celtics in scoring in this game. And he only had 22 points. So that kind of shows that the Celtics really spreading around in this game, uh, scoring 126 points. And your leading score only has 22. But, you know, they got a lot of contributions off the bench. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, who is just a guy that always ceases to amaze me with his uh, shooting skills. Um, but they, uh, yeah, their offense has been really potent and um, kind of showed out in this game. Yeah, the the Celtics made a bunch of threes and the Hawks didn't. They shot forty six percent, and and that was the recipe for that win. It was just it was just ugly from from the get go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing I guess you could spend positive for the Hawks in this game, and this is barely even a positive, but they shot more threes in this game, and I think a lot of that was just product of being down by so much. But they shot thirty two, which is a lot more than they usually shoot. Um, it wasn't good accuracy as they only made seven of them, which is pretty bad. Uh, but yeah, the Celtics were just out of their minds from three. I mean, 21 of 46 is just like almost um, untenable. You know, you can't really do anything about that. That's just them just being shooting over their heads a little bit. And I mean, they're, and they're just really good too. You got to give them credit. I mean, these guys can shoot it and <laughs> they got a lot of shooters off the bench too. Like Hauser five of six from three off the bench and then Pritchard four of six from three off the bench. Like, that's that's just a recipe for disaster every time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we can uh, move on now. Talk, quit talking about this ugly game and talk about it's probably the game of the year <laughs> so far for the for the Hawks. This was an awesome game, uh, start to finish. Really, they beat the Raptors one twenty four to one twenty two. A really nice win. Um, the Raptors have kind of just been the bane of the Hawks' existence for the past couple of years now. They seem to own the Hawks. Um, and there is a caveat with this game. The Raptors were super shorthanded. Uh, they were without Pascal Siakam, who's their best player. They were without Gary Trent, who is one of their best offensive players, really good shooter. Um, a couple other guys too, Chris Boucher, a couple other guys. Um, so they're really kind of stretched thin. And the Raptors are already a team that likes to use very few guys. So they're definitely playing some guys that they didn't want to play. But the Hawks still got a really nice win in this one. Um, you know, Main the main story of this game was the overtime period and the AJ Griffin show, which I know that you're dying to talk about. Um, but we can uh, just talk about the rest of it pretty quickly here. Well, what were your thoughts on the overall game uh, up until overtime or up until the fourth quarter, really? Because that's when things really get interesting. Oh, it was it was absolutely insane. That that second quarter was awesome. They just kept going back and forth, and they let the Hawks get back into it a little bit. 
and uh, it came down to the last, you know, four or five possessions. Seemed like it lasted. Seemed like the last two minutes lasted thirty minutes. Uh, you know, with free throws and fouls, and the refs were really bad this game. I felt like it, it was, it was just absolute chaos. And and you can talk about now about that last possession real quick. Yeah, the the last possession of the game for Toronto or of regulation, I should say, was really something. Um, you know, the uh, the Hawks up by two or take game's tied actually, and uh, trying to with the ball, a chance to win the game. And Scotty Barnes got a really nice pass uh, for a really just gimme layup, and I mean, he just straight up missed it. <laughs> like, put it off the backboard, just rolled around the rim, and then he gets an offensive rebound, puts it back up, and misses it again. <laughs> And, you know, you could see it in his face that he was just like, what the hell just happened? Like, how did I just miss both of those? Um, but it, that was huge. And I mean, that the game could have easily been lost there in, uh, in regulation. But th- that was just a huge swing. And then, you know, when you when you don't win the game right there and you go to overtime, he's kind of writing is on the wall that might just not be your day. And that was the case because A.J. Griffin just kept on coming through in overtime. Um, a lot of clutch baskets. Um we could talk about the game winner, but first we should talk about the how the how the Raptors got back in this game late into the overtime period. Now the Hawks were up by four points very late, and the Raptors came back into this game uh, really courtesy of DeAndre Hunter missing two free throws that would have iced the game. Uh, missed both of them. Raptors go back down and they tie the game. So it was that was just a terrible swing of events. Um, him missing both of those. Was was really really rough. Uh, Trey even missed uh, two free throws in this game too on the same uh, possession. So that was really weird. Um, but uh, Hunter missing those. What were your thoughts on that? Because that was just like, an, oh my god! Like, I think yeah. in everybody's mind, it was time for double overtime when that happened. <laughs> it was bad, man. You got to make one of those. You got to make it a three point yeah. game and, and force the hand a little bit. But both of them rimmed out. It was unlucky. And um, yeah, I mean, you got to ice the game there, really, if you're Hunter. So. Yeah, that, that was rough, but then we, we can get to the most exciting play of the game, which was after uh, Toronto tied the game with 3.8 seconds left. Like I said, it looked like it was going to be double overtime for sure, but uh, a lit- I don't want to say it's a miracle because it was just a really well-executed play, but just a phenomenal full-court play that the Hawks had written up there. Um, there was a timeout before the Raptors' possession, so I assume they had this plan for if Toronto scored. But it was DeJounte inbounding the ball. He finds Trey, who was just flying down the court uh, to get just a little bit past half court, finds him, great pass from DeJounte. And then I don't know what happened on Toronto's end, but A.J. Griffin just got completely loose and was wide open at the rim. Trey kind of throws like a half pass, half alley-oop, and uh, Griffin catches it in midair, lays it up with time to spare, really. He had like a half a second left. I know this not, doesn't seem like a lot of time, but when there's only four seconds left, that's a good amount of time to get the shot off with. And um, just a perfect, beautiful full court play to win the game, and yeah, that was that was awesome. <laughs> Perfectly executed play. Yeah. It, I mean, it was. I mean, you couldn't write it up any better. I don't know if um, during the last timeout, if if they had a talk where like, okay, if they come down tied up, this is the play, or or you know that was something they ran in practice, but it was flawless. I mean, Toronto really messed up. They had two guys guarding Clint Capella at half court. Uh, if you go back and watch it, it was just really yeah, weird. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> yeah, and to have AJ Griffin slip down into, into, uh, you know, underneath the rim, basically, it it was just, it it was a beautiful play. Dejounte side pass to Trey, 
and and Trey was just flying, like you said. Um, yeah, it was fantastic, man. I knew I knew once we got them to overtime that we had the upper hand just because they were super shorthanded. And, you know, if you look at the minutes they were playing, Scotty Barnes had 46, Van Vliet had 44, Ananobi had 42. I mean, these guys had to be tired. Um, I knew we could outlast them and and to to get that play, which is absolutely awesome. Yeah, it was. And um honestly, kind of a tip of the cap to John Collins for fouling out in this game and uh <laughs> letting AJ just take over in the in the overtime period because I don't even know if AJ would have been playing it overtime if Collins wouldn't have fouled out. And so that was a blessing in disguise with Collins fouling out. He kind of had a rough game. Um, but uh still a win is a win, despite how ugly things might have been in the first quarter and kind of ugly into the second quarter also. But uh, Hawks has just been a second-half team so far this year, and they keep on doing that. But, uh, yeah, you know, outside of A.J., Trey had probably – I don't know if it was his best game of the season, but one of them, really encouraging one from him. He shot the ball very well, 33 points, 12 of 21. That's very efficient. Um 12 assists, two of four from three, got to the line nine times. He was very good. DeJounte was good. We were talking about AJ Griffin a lot, but he was awesome off the bench. Really the only only thing the Hawks got from the bench in this game was AJ Griffin. 17 points, and the rest of the bench combined for eight. So that's he really saved them. I mean, and that's kind of just been the, the theme of his season, saving the Hawks. Yeah. I mean, with this lack of shooting and just the little the juice that he can give you off the bench is just so, so important. So um yeah, I know. I know you want to talk about uh, the, the DeAndre Hunter thing because he's not playing tonight against Cleveland, so it could be AJ Griffin time even more tonight against the Cavs. Yeah, expect expect him to get some more minutes. I think he's definitely earned it. Um, you know, Nate McMillan. You know, sometimes sometimes John Collins fouling out has got to force his hand. He's got to play his his guys that are that are hot right now. And and you know, Hunter being out, I think I think AJ Griffin gets 25, 30 minutes tonight, and you know, really see what he has. See if he can get in that starting lineup some more. You know, earn some more minutes. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I, I love AJ Griffin, man. He's he's been one of my favorite players to watch this year. Big big fan of him, man. Yeah, that draft pick is just looking better and better. I mean, even at the time, it looked like a really good pick. I mean, Griffin was top ten in most mock drafts, and he slipped. And it, the, the early returns on that pick have been awesome. He's been terrific. Uh, so yeah, you got any uh, final thoughts on these Hawks before we talk to some Braves? Yeah, I do. I have a little stat for you. All right. So um, after the Celtics game. Um, this stat came out today or on Wednesday. It said Trey Young and Dejounte Murray are the first duo in NBA history to achieve at least 300 points and 100 assists in the first 14 games of a season. So very, very cool. Not there. bad. <laughs> yeah, bad at all. That's all you can say. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah, they've been electric. I know Trey's had like a weird start to the season, but still, his passing hasn't slumped. He's still been great, like you said, with the assist numbers and. Yeah, if he can heat up like he was in this game and become Trey Young again in all caps, this Hawks team, I mean, they're 10 and 6 right now and they're third in the East. Like, they could really, really pick a push for one of those top two spots. Um, yeah. Really give Milwaukee and Boston run for their money. If they can, if everything can click, Bogey comes back, all that good stuff, they could, they could be a threat. We know this. They were two games away from the finals a couple years ago and maybe would have made it if Trey doesn't get hurt. They, this team is very capable. So, yeah, that, that was a good stat. There was a good pull. Uh, so, yeah, we can uh, move on to the Brave stuff. There's just a lot of, Looking at the sheet here, it's just a lot of uh, random stuff on here. <laughs> it, was, it really gets kind of a not a very busy week news wise, but there is just some stuff that uh stuff that happened. Um, but I kind of want to lead things off with talking about the uh, shortstop situation because there was not I guess this is news, just a bit of a development really with a uh, Von Grissom. 
Um, it was reported that him and Ron Washington are spending three weeks in New Orleans to work on his defense. Uh, one of the fields down there. I don't know if that's where Wash lives. I don't know why New Orleans, but uh, that's where they're at. And uh, Wash had a quote. I don't have the exact quote, but it was something like, "This kid's getting a lot better, and he is very he's, he can play shortstop pretty much." And um, I don't know. Are you are you buying this as that the Braves are actually considering that he could be the opening day shortstop next year, or do you think that this might be a negotiating some negotiating tactic for Dansby or any other any other free agents really, or just maybe even trying to boost Vaughn's trade value? As uh, so we can talk about that a little bit later too. I actually don't think it's any of the three. I think they're still trying to shop shop for a shortstop. Um, I think this is kind of a backup plan if things don't go their way um, in free agency. Um, you know, Vaughn was, you know, as when he was coming up, he was he was a shortstop, and so, um, you know, there was there was some talk about his defense, how strong his arm is, and I mean, we saw his bat. You know, the man can hit. He just you know got in a little slump and started losing playing time towards the end of the year, and so. You know, you don't really know exactly what you have in him, uh, you know, with a small sample size. But I think this is kind of like a a backup a little bit. Um, I think they're still trying to go after Dansby and, uh, you know, sign their guy. But I just, um, you know, I, I think working going down in NOLA with, with Ron Washington sounds pretty awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would love to do that. And so, <laughs> yeah, this is pretty cool, be. man. I don't I don't know. I, I think it's a backup, honestly. What about you? Yeah, maybe, maybe him and Vaughn are going to hit Bourbon Street after a couple workouts. You know, a few drinks, <laughs> get a little loose. You know, that that would just be some scenes, just chilling with Ron Washington. Um, so I envy Vaughn for that. Um, but yeah, it it is like it is a backup plan. But I do like I don't know. I kind of just have this weird feeling that they the Braves love their prospects. I think that's well documented. I mean, they've extended so many of them and. You know, they're they really didn't trade any of their big ones until the Matt Olson trade. And so Anth- Anthopolis loves his prospects. And I mean, they obviously have a lot of faith in Vaughn. They called him up after he only played like 20 games in double A. So they they obviously like Vaughn's bat a lot. So I do think there is like a real chance that, you know, I think I don't think this is likely. I think you're right. It's most likely a backup option, but I do think there is like a real chance where they're like, okay, we believe in this bat enough. We believe that he could figure it out at shortstop, that he could be the guy, and we just have another you know, prospect making nothing. And um, yeah, I, I do think uh, that is definitely one of the options there, but I also think this is another thing um, for the trade value of Vaughn. If that were to uh, come to fruition, you know, if they do sign one of these shortstops to a long-term deal, there's just really nowhere for Vaughn to go except maybe left field. And, um, and I've already, it's already been kind of mentioned a little bit that, the Braves farm system is kind of depleted and Vaughn is the number one prospect. So if they didn't want to make a swing, a huge trade and want to package Vaughn with Vaughn in that deal saying that he can play shortstop increases his value a ton. I don't think it's likely that they trade Vaughn, but I think I'm just trying to cover all bases here because it's just, everything's just so wide open as far as this whole shortstop situation goes. Yeah. You don't know if he's going to be a guy coming off the bench um, or he's going to be a starter, everyday starter. So I, I actually kind of agree with that. Maybe, maybe trying to boost his, his uh, trade value a little bit. I, I, I'm not sure if they'll, if they'll do that. I think they really believe in him, but you know, definitely, definitely interesting to explore. Yeah. There's this, the short stuff situation could go so many different ways, whether it's one of the big free agents or uh, Vaughn or they trade for somebody that we don't even know about. So yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation. No real developments on Dansby though. Um, I haven't really seen anything about him. Um, 
really nothing has happened as far as any of the big trade shortstops. I think the one thing we saw was that Trey Turner might be interested in going to play for the Phillies. That's really been Ugh, it. Gross. So I don't know. I don't know. It's gonna. I think once one of those guys signs, it's gonna really open the floodgates for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who it's gonna be. Uh, I think everybody's just kind of waiting around. So he's gonna shoot first, and uh, I just I don't know. Nothing. N- another really big free agent signed at all in baseball. So it's kind of been a slow start to the offseason. So we yeah. get some other stuff here. We got some awards stuff um, for the Braves. Michael Harris came out on top in the Rookie of the Year uh, vote over Strider. I believe he got twenty two of the thirty first place votes. He kind of won more lopsided fashion than I thought he would. I thought it was going to be a little bit closer than that with Strider, uh, but he won in pretty overwhelming fashion. Um, I think you said that you uh, would have gave your vote to Harris. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, so good for good for Michael Harris. I mean, he was obviously incredible last year and really just saved the Braves in so many ways. Uh, defensively, lefty bat, just having a center fielder, <laughs> which uh, which is huge on its own. And then uh, Max Fried finished second in the Cy Young, which that's pretty cool finishing second um it wasn't really close i think sandy was the unanimous winner mm-hmm. i think he got all 30 first place votes so uh no first place votes for max but i didn't i kind of thought julio rios was going to finish in front of him um i just kind of had that feeling but it's cool that max was able to finish uh, second that's that looks good on the baseball reference page second in the cy young um he's he was awesome last year and uh i know we got we had some news on max too not like actual i mean this is actual news but just kind of a note of maybe explaining his rough playoff start. I know that you wanted to talk about, so you can uh, kick that one off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rick Kranis did an interview on MLB network and said that Max Fried lost 15 pounds uh, with the flu before his playoff start versus Philly. Um, I mean, you could definitely tell it was, it was affecting him. His endurance and stamina just wasn't quite there. He didn't look, he didn't look good at all. And you know, 15 pounds, it's a lot, man. Um, pretty scary. Yeah, I I had no idea that that was the severity of this. Um, you know, it was we all knew that Met series when he like we, there's the video of him running to the tunnel to throw up. I don't think no one, you know, people had like like a uh, thought that that might be the reason for his bad playoff start, but no one knew for sure. There was no real confirmation. But here's the confirmation. Um, I don't want to make excuses. I don't think the Braves win that series against the Phillies, even if Max pitches decent. I think the Phillies are just going to beat us no matter what. They just had our number there. Um, but that is that might explain a lot because Max that was probably his worst start of the season and his biggest start of the season. So that was that was tough. But yeah, 15 pounds is no joke. He was obviously really sick with the stomach flu. Um, and yeah, that's that's crazy. I did not I did not uh, know that that was the case at all with him. And that does explain a lot. Like you said, the stamina, his velocity was down. He just looked bad overall in that Philly start. Um, but yeah, that was that was uh I don't know if it was closure on that series to make you feel better, but it was just uh, definitely notable there. Definitely notable. So, um, yeah, you got you got one note here that I did, that I missed completely was this Ronald Acuna changed his agents. Um, yeah, I, I did not see that at all. Same as his brother and cousin. So that's um, I don't know. Do 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 you think that's uh, anything? I don't know. I, it's it's just kind of interesting, you know. After the reports came out that there would be tension and you know his contract would look worse, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of rel- relative to what we were speaking on last week. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's much, honestly. I, it's it's a little late, you know. If you know, he should have done this a couple years ago when he signed that deal, I guess. But you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I probably think it's just a coincidence at the end of the day. I mean, guys change agencies all the time. 
like especially during the offseason, like that's a normal thing. Um, I don't know if this was Ronald changing agents because he's mad at his agent for um that contract. I don't know. I have no idea. It is definitely notable though with all those reports. I know we kind of all thought those were BS, but you know, maybe there was something to them a little yeah. bit. I don't know. I hope not. Um, but uh yeah, that's interesting. And like like it's it's his same age as his brother and his cousin. So that might be something to do with it also, just to be all represented by the same guy with them. That might mm-hmm. be part of it too. Um, I know his brother is a big prospect for the Rangers. Um, so yeah. that uh that that definitely could be something too. I don't know. That's it's just all speculation with something like that. It's so hopefully it's nothing and um I'm gonna pretend it's nothing until it actually becomes something. That's my gonna be my mindset on that one. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So um we can get into some actual um uh, actually no before we get into roster moves. One more little silly note, or not even silly, just like a non-baseball thing, was Spencer Strider changing his number to 99, the little Ricky Vaughn action there, wild thing. Yeah. Um, that that That's cool. I like that a lot. Um, I know I saw like saw it on Twitter, like uh, some guy that was looking through the 40-man roster and it said the Strider was number 99 now, and they're like, oh, so he changed his number. I don't know if this is right or if this is like a typo. Is he 99 now? But then I think he changed like his uh, Instagram bio to number 99, and it was like official. So that's that's a cool jersey. That's a cool jersey. He's probably going to get a lot more jersey sales now. Now he's number 99. And might take the Braves with the Aaron Judge sweepstakes, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Aaron Judge could be 65 now. Oh my God. That would look that would look bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> number 65, Aaron Judge. Yeah, I doubt that. I doubt that he would do that. But that would be that would be funny though if um the Braves like, hey, Spence, like we know we know you want to be 99, but Aaron wants to come. Could you just do as a solid? <laughs> this is like we got to land this one. That would that would be interesting. I'd like to be in the room for that one, but I that that's not going to happen. But yeah, it is. It's a cool number, great pitching number, especially for a guy that does gas like he does. So uh, yeah, that's uh, definitely a cool little change there. And uh, he'll he's going to make a lot more money selling jerseys. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I'm buying one for sure. Ninety nine. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's 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 really cool. Uh, so yeah, we can uh, transition into the actual roster moves that happened this week. Nothing too major, but um, definitely some notable stuff. Uh, the first one that we got here is Tyler Matzik coming back on a two-year, $3.1 million deal with a $5.5 million team option for the uh, third year. Uh, Matzik had Tommy John surgery uh, about a month ago now, so he will not be pitching at all next season. And uh, this was actually like actual – when this was broke, it was uh, actual news because there was some – Real speculation that Matzik could be non-tendered and just be a free agent, uh, but this I think this is just like a sign of goodwill from the Braves doing right by Matzik when he was obviously, you know, probably the second or third most important player on the championship team a couple years ago or last year uh, with his playoff performance. So um, yeah, what do you think about this deal? Because he's not going to pitch at all next year. It's really just for the next year. Yeah, I think it was definitely the right thing to do for the Braves. I mean, he, you know, he's not playing next year. Um, no, but tough guy. Just had just had a bad injury, man. It sucks to see, but you know he was our he was our savior a couple years ago, and um, yeah. I mean, I like it. I, I think it's the right thing to do by the Braves for sure, for sure. Yeah, and it's it's not a lot of money. I mean, three point one million total for two years. That's like I don't know what the exact. I think it's like one point two for next year and one point nine for the next year. Like it's it's barely anything. So it's cool. I mean, um, Matzik. Everybody loves Tyler Matzik, obviously fan wise, but. I think everybody in the Braves locker room and clubhouse loves him too. He seems just like a, a good guy, a good glue guy in the clubhouse. Seems like a funny guy at the bullpen. He's got the funniest nickname on the team, the Nutsack. I'm sure everybody, everybody loves that. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a good move overall. 
And uh, another sign of goodwill from the Braves. Um, this wasn't like as much of a discussion for the non-tender thing with Mike Soroka. I know last year it was kind of a discussion if the Braves might non-tender him, but they um, they haven't non-tendered him either the past two years. They actually just went ahead and avoid arbitration with him altogether, and they signed him for $2.8 million next year. Um, Soroka is expected to be pitching next year in the big leagues. So, um, yeah, what do you think about this one? I mean, I just – like it's hard for me to even tell what – I mean, the money's fine. It's not a lot of money. It seems appropriate to me. Um, but yeah, what do you think about this one overall? And just uh, what are you expecting from Soroka next year? Because I really don't even know what to think. Yeah, it's tough after two Achilles tears. Um, I think this is kind of like a prove yourself contract. Um, very low. Keep him in the organization and, and see what he's got, man. You know, you kind of saw him coming up in the minors a little bit. He struggled at times. Other times he looked good. Um, you know, he's pitching he's pitching against young guys. So you, you never really know. But he's definitely got a got a shot to compete for the fifth spot. I mean, if he can return to three fourths of what he was, I mean, he'll, he would be a solid, solid piece for cheap. And um, yeah, I think again, this is kind of like the right thing to do by the Braves. I mean, every Soroka is a good guy and, you know, he's been through a lot these, these past two years. And so, you know, I'm, I'm in support of it. It's not a lot of money and you gotta, you know, you gotta see what he's got, man. See if he's got anything left in that tank. For sure. And um, yeah, the Braves are, de- he's definitely going to get an opportunity during that fifth spot, but it's not going to just be, it ain't going to be easy for him because there's so many guys that the Braves have that could be the fifth starter next year between Elder, Muller, Ian Anderson, and even some like the other prospects like uh, Jared Schuster, or Dylan Dodd, who haven't even pitched yet in the big leagues. They could be a contention for it. So there's a bunch of guys that, uh, and that, that was even not even accounting for um, a guy they could sign because we don't even know if the Braves might just sign another low level starter. So yeah, they're definitely they're definitely gonna give him a shot, see what he's got. And um yeah, I hope he I hope he can um figure something out. I know there's a report this week that he has like changed some of his mechanics that uh, that they think is gonna help him out a lot in returning. Um some of his arm stuff, his like arm slots and things like that. So um uh, hopefully that can work out and um he can he can uh make his way onto this uh rotation. Cause if he could come back and be good, that'd just be such an awesome story. And it'd just be a huge lift because, I mean, people forget, but Mike Soroka was that dude in yeah. 2019. He was, like, the best pitcher on the team by far. And I think, he just, I think he finished second on the team in war that season. And that's pretty crazy. It seems like a long time ago now. But he is st- – I still I still think he really has a chance. He's still a young guy. He's still 25 years old. And, you know, it's really, it's really just been the Achilles stuff. His arm really hasn't had any injuries. So maybe if his arm's still good. I think there's still a shot that he could be a productive pitcher for sure. Yeah. All right. So we can uh, move on to uh, some lesser signings and trades that we got here. Really not even signings, just a trade and some DFA guys. Um, We'll start with the DFA guys. Jackson Stevens got DFA'd along with Guillermo Heredia. Uh, So RIP Guillermo. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if the Braves just signed him back on a minor league contract. I, I could definitely see that, but um, kind of mentioned this when the Braves traded for Sam Hilliard that kind of the writing on the wall for Heredia, maybe he was going to get a cut, and he did. Um, but Jackson Stevens also got DFA'd, and it was for Dennis Santana, who is – this was an interesting move by the Braves because they cut Jackson Stevens to get him on the 40-man roster. I know Jackson Stevens isn't like this untouchable guy that's um was not eligible to be DFA'd. He definitely was, but he was actually pretty good last year for the Braves in his role. And Dennis Santana – he this is it's an interesting move because he has no minor league options and he's actually making actual real money next year. It's not like a ton of money, but he's making like a million and a half dollars. It's not like he's making the league minimum. 
Um, he was pretty bad last year for the Rangers. He had a 5-2-2 ERA uh, for them out of the bullpen. Uh, strikeout stuff is good, though. He's got swing and miss stuff for sure. Good velocity, good slider, all the stuff you look for in a reliever. Uh, so this is definitely the Braves thinking they have something here because, you know, he's, you can't send him to Gwinnett. He's making at least a little bit of money, and you're cutting Jackson Stevens, a guy that was actually pretty good for you last year. So what do you think about this move? I thought it was weird. I thought it was really weird after the season Jackson Stevens had. I mean, he was super reliable. You knew what you had in him. You know, I mean, you obviously weren't going to go to him in huge situations, but definitely a guy that could eat up some innings. And, you know, you trusted him in the bullpen. I, I just don't understand really cutting him. And Dennis Santana, I mean, he's he's been in the league now for seven years, I think, with the Dodgers and, and Rangers. I mean, he has the stuff. He throws very hard, but he walks. His walks, man. He... He's averaging four. Last year, he averaged four and a half walks per nine innings with only eight and a half strikeouts per per nine innings. So maybe it's it's a little um, maybe he just needs to get in around the guys and under this pitching staff and maybe learn how to limit his walks a little bit. But he's the stuff is there. The stuff is there, no doubt. And, you know, we'll see. I just I thought this was a weird move. I like Jackson Stevens seemed like a good dude. Um, that that was in the bullpen. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's um, it's weird. I don't. Know. I'm I'm looking up Stevens now to see if he's been picked up by anybody. I mean, he's still a free agent. I think he got DFA'd. Him and this was him and Heredi. They got DFA'd and then non-tendered. So I think they just become free agents automatically. I don't think they go through waivers. So I think they're just straight up free agents. I think the Braves can just bring them back if they wanted to. And that was the thing with Stevens last year. He had no minor league options either. Um, so maybe they're just thinking it's a swap here and that there's just more upside with Santana. Uh, but I definitely, I mean, there's not like any like real major risk here, but there's definitely a chance that Santana just is bad. And you just, he's going to get cut after a month or two. Cause I think this is a guy that they're like thinking he's going to make the opening day roster and be in the bullpen with yeah. a move like this. Like it's definitely then they have something here and they could, this could look back and be like, Oh man, they found a diamond in the rough here because Santana's nasty and they can fix him and um, cut down the walks. He could be a very beneficial guy in the bullpen because he's got all the stuff you look for in the arm, the velocity. I was looking through some of his um, highlights with the Dodgers from 2021. And, um, you know, when he was right, he looked good. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting move. Uh, definitely a interesting flyer to take on him. And um, it hopefully it'll work out. Uh, you know, I, I don't think this uh, ends the Braves bullpen and bullpen add adding. I don't know what the word is there, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think they're going to add like a more proven guy in the bullpen, probably another proven right-handed arm. I don't know if that'd be like Kenley Jansen again. I doubt that, but just like some like more proven free agent, not just like a lottery ticket guy like Dennis Santana. Uh, so that's another thing to look out for in free agency too. But um. Yeah, that's uh, that's all I got on that one. I think that's I think we covered all the brave stuff. Uh, you got anything else you want to talk about? Not really, man. I just want free agency to heat up. I'm this whole yes. baseball narrative being boring. I mean, it's come on, let's the get stove. Is, stove has not been very hot, to say the no. least. Um, yeah, there's just all the big moves have just been guys going back to their old teams. I think the biggest move of a guy actually going somewhere was the Teoscar Hernandez trade. When he went to the mm-hmm. Mariners, like that's been really it. Cause I know Kershaw back on the Dodgers, Diaz went back to the Mets, um, Rafael Montero signed back with the Astros. Like none of the big dogs have gone yet. And it's, you know, it's getting late November. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll, uh, maybe it'll heat up here soon. I know Anthopolis has always been one to kind of act early in the offseason and they've done some stuff, but it's just nothing major. I know. I want to say when they 
had the big day when they signed Josh Donaldson and Brian McCann was like was on Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving. So maybe they'll do something around then. I don't know how much stuff will get done this week because of Thanksgiving if uh, or if how much they're going to be working. So I don't know. <laughs> I hope something happens too because, you know, as much as I love talking about Dennis Santana and Jackson Stevens, <laughs> I would love to talk about, you know, uh, Dansby or Trey Turner or something. I would love that or, or anybody. But, um, yeah, hopefully it'll heat up here soon for the Braves. Um, but definitely some interesting stuff to talk about this week for sure. So uh, any last thoughts on anything before we get out of here? No, nah, man. Uh, Hawks got the Cavs tonight. Cavs are good. Um, looking for a big game out of Trey and A.J. Griffin coming in, getting some more minutes. And then uh, you got the Falcons. Falcons against the Commanders. Uh, hopefully we can beat up on them. I, you know, it's going to be a tough game, but I think we can do it. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, big game. Interesting test tonight for the Hawks with the Cavs. Cavs have been pretty good this year. So, uh Definitely talk about that one next week on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, if you made it this far listening, we really, really appreciate it. And we'll see you in the next one. Mm -hmm.